Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. All right, so I'm kicking off a new series today called Miracles. I believe that we're on the horizon of an incredible move of God, and our job right now is to get prepared for mind-blowing miracles. We've been preparing for a couple years now. I don't know if you've realized that or not. The fire of God has been cleansing us from sin and all other things. Uh, We've become more aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and in our services. And, um, you know, we're a church who's positioned and we're ready. We're positioned and we're ready for the end-time revival. Do you guys realize that? We are a church who's positioned and we're ready for what God wants to do in the end-time revival. God's going to perform mighty miracles through No Limits Church. But let's not just sit back and wait. Let's continue to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for what God's going to do. So in this series, I'm going to help you eliminate some wrong thinking about miracles, just to make sure that doesn't get in the way. So each week, I want to start by reading you a true story from the Azusa Street Revival. This incredible revival took place from 1906 to 1909 in Los Angeles, California, of all places, right? In a former warehouse and stable, creative miracles were released every single day for three and a half years. They weren't just having church on Sundays there. They were having church every single day of the week, and miracles were happening every single day for three and a half years. If we held a daily service here for three and a half years, y'all going to show up every day? I mean, come on, that's awesome. Apparently something awesome was going on there, right? You know, I got to thinking about that too. I'm like, man, I miss, we just may move into that where we're having services every day here. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? But missing limbs grew out where there were none. Eyeballs filled in empty sockets. Cancerous growths just fell off onto the floor <laughs> in the service. And lives were restored day after day as they just bathed in the glory of God. And what they called it then was the Shekinah glory. And it was a visual. You could see it. It was kind of like a fog or a mist in the room. And it was incredible. So Sister Lucille, who was part of the revival, would tell about the miracles that were performed for people who had bad teeth. She would have them open up their mouths and she would stick her finger on the rotten tooth or she would stick her finger on their gums if there was no tooth there. And often the new tooth would push her finger up as she was praying for them. Many times, yeah, so, and there was, on the really decayed stuff, all the bad stuff would just come out, and she had a handkerchief that she'd pull out of her pocket, and she'd rub that bad stuff off, and underneath there would be a new tooth. Incredible, right? Even crooked teeth would be made straight as she was praying for him. So Lucille told the true story of a child whose adult teeth grew in rotten and black from the start, and the mother asked, will God heal this? And Sister Lucille said, God will heal anything. And I love praying for teeth. So Lucille asked for a handkerchief and a cup. And she laid the handkerchief over the child's mouth and she prayed. And then a handful of blackened teeth just came out of the girl's mouth and fell into the cup. So there the girl stared at her, completely toothless, like, what are we going to do now? And Lucille told her, now Jesus is going to give you a new set of teeth. And we're going to have some fun getting them in there. And so she went through the child's whole mouth and pressed on her gums, and the teeth grew in one at a time. She could have had them all grow in at one time, but Lucille was having fun at this point, so that's how she did it. But this little girl's teeth grew in perfectly. To top it all off, the child said that she felt nothing whenever the blackened teeth were coming out, which anybody who's had dental work done knows that that's a miracle. 
And she said whenever the new teeth were coming in, it just kind of tickled. And we know that's a miracle. Anybody who has small kids who are teething, right? Incredible. So I share these stories with you because in 1910, after this revival was over, it was prophesied that about 100 years later, there would be another revival like Azusa Street. Do the math. It's on the horizon, right? It's that about 100 years later, only this time it would not be in one place. It would be all over the world. There will be a return of the Shekinah glory and the miracles. And this revival will not be with just one person or just pastors. It will be with everybody in the body of Christ. This time, the revival will not end until the Lord returns. Awesome. So who's ready to be a part of these amazing miracles of God? Yeah. Well, let's continue to prepare for this revival by renewing our minds with the word of God. Because the reality is, many people believe that God withholds miracles. He's kind of storing them up. They think God only dishes out miracles when he wants to, as he wants to, or maybe when we've done everything perfectly. And this kind of incorrect thinking is what prevents God from moving. You see, the miracle already exists. Healing already exists. Prosperity already exists. Freedom already exists. But we push it all away through our own doubt and unbelief. So it's not that God has been withholding this revival for the last hundred years. He's just been waiting for us to get to a place of receiving these miracles. He's been waiting on us. And it reminds me of electricity. It's existed since the beginning of time. We didn't figure out how to use it until the 1800s. Before then, people doubted its power. They were afraid of it, so they didn't use it. Guys, Adam and Eve could have used electricity to cool their treehouse. It was there. They just didn't know how to use it. The promises of God are the same way. He promised you healing. He promised you protection. He promised you prosperity. If you don't have these things in your life, it's because you haven't learned how to receive how to use these promises. You just haven't learned how to do it yet. So y'all, quit blaming it on God. He's not withholding. He's not withholding. It's your own fear and your own unbelief that keeps you from receiving what he's already provided for you. Anybody feeling the responsibility in the room today? Don't you love me? I come up here and tell you what your responsibility is. You can't blame God anymore. You can't blame others anymore. Man, what are we going to do now? I guess we're going to grow up. So in Mark chapter 11, we read about Jesus and his disciples getting up one morning to travel to Jerusalem. And Jesus was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree. And it looked really good. It's kind of like when you're going down the highway on a long trip. You see that McDonald's sign out in the distance. You may not normally eat Mickey D's, but this time, hmm, your mouth starts watering, right? There's something about travel. It's like, I just got to have McDonald's. They know what they're doing, putting those in the middle of the turnpike. So when Jesus walked up to the tree, he found there was no fruit on it. It's kind of like if you pulled up to that McDonald's drive-thru and looked in and there was no food in there. And you're like, what? You'd be a little upset, wouldn't you? I came here for some French fries. You ain't got nothing? So Jesus got worked up, even though it was too early in the season for fruit. And Jesus said, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples just kind of stared at him like, what What in the world? What is going on here? So when they got to the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus must have been hangry at this point. Because he starts turning over tables and chairs and having a fit. And I've talked about this story before, so I don't have time to get into the details of it today. But after this dramatic event in the temple, Jesus and his disciples headed back to where they were staying. And then the next day, they got up and they took the same path to the temple. It's like they were going to a conference or something every day, right? And they found that that fig tree was withered from the roots up the next day. 
So the day before, it was full leaf and beautiful. And one day later, it was dead. And of course, the disciples remembered how Jesus had cursed the fig tree the day before for not having fruit. And then they were shocked that it actually died. They were like, wow, y'all, these are the disciples. They'd been with Jesus watching miracle after miracle after miracle. Blind eyes open, leprosy instantly healed, demons cast out, and now they're surprised that the fig tree died because Jesus told it to. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I would have knocked them all upside the head at this point. Like, how many miracles does Jesus got to do before you believe that he can do anything that he says he's going to do? How many does it take? Yet here we are. We have the privilege of reading about all these miracles of Jesus in the word of God. And we can even go to YouTube and watch miracles being done by the power of God in church services all over the world. Yet we struggle to believe that he wants to do a miracle in our own life. We just like the disciples. (laughs) I'm done with this unbelief. Are you? Are you done with it? At what point are we as the people of God going to stand up in faith and trust that God is willing and able to do whatever we need him to do? At what point? Well, Jesus didn't knock his disciples upside the head, even though they deserved it. Instead, he corrected their wrong thinking, and he's going to do that for us today. Take a look. Jesus said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it'll happen. But you must really believe it'll happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe you received it, it'll be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. In this short lesson from Jesus, he gives us four things that determine our ability to receive miracles from God. Number one, have faith in God. Number two, speak your faith. Number three, remove the doubt. You can't have it around. Number four, forgive others. So we're going to focus on one of these each week during this series, and I believe this will help position ourselves to be conduits for the miracles of God. So let's dive into this first one, have faith in God. And of the four, this is probably the most obvious one, right? Of course, i got to have faith in God to receive miracles from God. But the question I'm going to answer today is, what is faith? What, what is it? We all agree that we should have faith in God, yet we don't all have faith in God. And how I know this is if we truly had faith in God, we wouldn't get worried when we experience symptoms in our body. We wouldn't worry when we lose our job. We wouldn't worry about anything because when you have faith in God, you you know that no matter what it looks like or what it sounds like or what it feels like, God's going to come to the rescue each time. Did you notice how the COVID drama revealed that a majority of Christians are not living in faith? You either responded with fear or you responded with faith. And I'm not here to make you feel bad if you were one that responded with fear. I only bring this up so that you can recognize it. And move on over to faith, because living by faith is so much better than living by fear. You see, many people make fun of faith because of the people who ignore things in the name of faith, thinking that if they ignore it long enough, their miracle will show up. But that's not faith. Faith's not denial. It's not ignorance. Faith is substance. It's assurance. It's real. Let me show it to you in Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in this scripture, we have two definitions of faith. Faith is substance, and faith is evidence. 
And if you just read over this quickly, you probably miss what it means by the word substance. So to help you understand, I looked up the original Greek word translated as substance. Anybody want to pronounce this for me? Hubostasis. That which has actual existence. Steadfastness of mind. Resolution. Confidence. Wow. So faith is knowing that whatever you're hoping for already exists. It's already there, and you've decided in your mind, this is, that's how it's going to be. You're confident, and nothing's going to shake you. Let me sum it up this way. Faith is confidence in God's word. It's when you get to the point that you notice a, a symptom in your body, and your first thought is, trespasser, get out of here. And it doesn't matter how long it takes for the symptom to leave, because you know that healing already exists in the spiritual realm, and it will come to pass in the physical realm. It's when you get laid off from your job and your first thought is, all right, well, this means that God has something better for me. He's already provided all my needs, and I look forward to seeing how he works it out this time. How do we get this kind of confidence in the word of God? The book of Romans has your answer. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Notice it doesn't say reading. It says hearing. So if you've been reading your Bible silently, it's time to start reading it out loud so you can hear it. That's why it's so important for you to come to church as many Sundays as you can, because we're dedicated to helping you hear and hear and hear and hear and hear the word of God. But Sunday is not enough. If you want to be confident in the word of God, you have to hear the word of God every single day of your life. That's why Chris Wills is leading us through the New Testament in 90 days. And all it takes is about five minutes each day over the next 90 days, and you will have read through the entire New Testament. But now you know, don't just read it silently. Read it out loud so you can hear it. And I'll explain how you can be a part of that at the end of service today. But let me be honest with you. There's no excuse to not hear the Word of God every day. There's no excuse. Here we are in 2022, and you can listen to an endless supply of preachers and teachers on YouTube. You can even have the Bible app read to you. It's time to stop making excuses. There are none. Make it a point to hear the word of God every day as if your life depended on it. Because if you want to live in the promises of God, it does depend on it. So Hebrews 11 shows us two things. First, faith is confidence in God's word. And here's the next one. Faith is evidence of things we can't see. This seems weird to a lot of people when we're talking about having faith in the promises of God. That's weird. Yet everyone believes in things they can't see. Our Wi-Fi signal is all around you right now. You can't see it. And just because you're not connected to it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You just don't see the evidence of it until you connect. There are TV signals all around us right now. The fake news is all over this room, and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. But there's no evidence of it until you plug in a TV and adjust that little antenna to pick it up. But it's been there all along. God is broadcasting his power and his blessings 24-7. We can't see it, but it's all around us. And he's just waiting for us to tune in, to connect to what he wants to do. When we ask God for something and we don't see it immediately, most people start to question, God, are you here? Can you actually do this? Will you do this for me? 
They assume that because they haven't seen anything yet, it's not real. I heard Jesse Duplantis say this last night, that our biggest enemy is time when it comes to receiving the promises of God. If it doesn't happen in our time, we give up. And when you give up, you stop it. It was on the way, and you sent the package returned. Man, we need to have more faith in God than we do in Wi-Fi. I'll tell you that. We know that anybody can access the internet if they just connect, but we're going to believe the lie that God's blessings are not for everyone? Ridiculous. That's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. There's a great illustration of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. The Syrians were at war with Israel, and over and over, the Syrians would gather their troops to create an ambush trying to trap Israel. But every time, the prophet Elisha would tell the king of Israel exactly where the ambush was, and, the, and then Israel would go and attack the ambush, like surprise attack him. I mean, that's hilarious. This happened over and over again, so the Syrian king was starting to get upset. He's like, all right, who's leaking this information? And as he was trying to figure out the source, he found out that it was the prophet, that dang prophet Elisha. So the Syrians decided to attack him instead. They were going after Israel's army, but now they're going to go after this prophet. And in the middle of the night, the Syrian army went and surrounded this city where the prophet Elisha was staying. And here's what happened next. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? When Elisha's servant saw the troops, he freaked out. And I mean, you probably would too, right? <laughs> you get up early in the morning, you look out, and that's what you see. I mean, they were surrounded by warriors who were upset at Elisha for continuing to leak their plans. They were in trouble. But look at Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. That sounds great, doesn't it? But I bet he was sounding a bit crazy right now. These people weren't even ready for battle. They weren't warriors. They had just woken up. What do you guys look like after you just wake up? I mean, just imagine people stumbling out of their little huts, like, what's going on here? I mean, even, even you would think that he was just being hopeful at this point. He's just saying something that he hopes to come true. But that's not what Elisha was doing. He was actually speaking truth because he knew that there was an unseen army. The key to understanding this is to realize that there's another reality beyond our physical reality. But if all you pay attention to is your five senses, you're always going to struggle with faith. But if you open yourself to the spiritual realm, faith comes alive. It comes alive. And honestly, it's quite humorous that we even have a hard time with this because our physical world was created by the physical. I mean, by the spiritual. Do we really think the spiritual realm just kind of disappeared after it created the physical world? No, it's very much still here. So let's see how this story ended up. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So this guy, he was already looking around with his physical eyes. So it's not like this was some kind of physical healing where he was blind and now he can see. No, this was God opening his spiritual eyes so that he could see what was going on in the spiritual realm. Something similar happened to me one night when I was out on a walk. It was almost dark, and I was trying to calm myself down after a long day so that I could go to sleep that night. 
I don't know, when you have four small kids, sometimes you just got to calm yourself down. I kind of have a, a joke with one of the neighbors. He sees me walk almost every day, and he's like, unplugging for the day. I was like, getting there, getting there. But while I was walking, I was watching all the weird shadows that are caused by the streetlights at dusk, and I started to pray, and I said out loud, I was like, God, it's, it's kind of scary to walk out here at night. And immediately after that left my mouth, my spiritual eyes were opened, and I saw two massive angels walking with me on each side of me. And this is the first time I've ever experienced anything like this, but I know it's true because of this scripture, Psalm 91:11. for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. I didn't see these angels with my physical eyes. I saw them with my spiritual eyes, which is kind of like imagination, but it connects with your spirit. I mean, with human imagination, you know that what you're daydreaming about may or may not be true or may or may not come true. But with your spiritual eyes, you see it with your mind, but you know here that it's real. And you know what's cool about this experience is whenever you have one of these experiences, you remember exactly where you were whenever it happened. I can tell you where I was in the neighborhood that this happened, looking at that white house that's in our neighborhood. One more thing I want you to notice about Elisha's servant is that when his spiritual eyes were opened, the Syrian army didn't disappear. It was still there. There was still a physical problem. It just wasn't scary anymore. True faith doesn't deny physical truth. It refuses to let physical truth dominate spiritual truth. True faith doesn't deny physical truth. It refuses to let physical truth dominate spiritual truth. I mean, how silly would it have been for this guy to still be afraid of the Syrian army after seeing what was taking place in the spiritual realm? When we only pay attention to our physical realm, our symptoms, the bills that need to be paid, our broken relationships, we cower down and we're just begging God, please show up and help me. But when we open our spiritual eyes, we see Jesus already defeated sickness. The windows of heaven are already open. They're pouring out blessings. God's already given me wisdom on how to nurture relationships. That's what moves you into faith. You've got to open your spiritual eyes. So when you experience a symptom in your body, you don't act like it's not there. You simply respond with peace. Jesus already took care of this. I don't have to fear or spend hours on WebMD. And that right, Summer, that'll move you right over into fear real quick. But I can rest knowing that this will not overtake me. Just like the scripture said, faith is evidence of things you cannot see. So to make this more clear, you could say that faith is the spiritual evidence of things you can't see physically. Faith is when you open your spiritual eyes and you see what's been done in the spiritual realm, and it's more powerful than what's currently taking place in the physical realm. This is about the point where some of y'all are probably thinking, Cade, this is not normal. This is weird. Well, you're right. It's not normal. But if you wanted normal, you wouldn't be here at church this morning. Investing your time getting closer to God. So you might as well let go of what's normal because you don't want it anyway. You don't want to live like that. The Apostle Paul explains this really well in 1 Corinthians 2.14. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. So if you refuse to open your spiritual eyes, you can't receive these truths. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. 
So if you're struggling and you're thinking, all this is foolishness, all you have to do is ask God to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see. He wants you to understand this. You just got to stop being so stubborn. So let me make this practical. What does living a life of faith look like? Well, it really starts with understanding why this journey to faith is so important to pursue. Because Hebrews eleven six tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Faith is absolutely essential if you want to please God. You can't receive anything from God without faith. So let this motivate you to dive in and start living by faith starting today. You can do this. I mean, if you can have faith that your text message will travel through the air and get to the other person's phone, you can have faith in God. I'm going to give you four ways to actively live by faith. Number one, I will believe God even when I don't see it. When you get on a plane, the flight attendant goes through this long list of things that you got to do before the plane gets in the air. Isn't that great? It's pretty boring. So most people just put their headphones on and ignore it. (laughs) Sam, that's you. Got your headphones on. But if this is your first time flying, you listening. What's they got to say? There's a point where they say, in the event of an emergency, oxygen masks will drop down. Place the mask securely on your face. Even though you don't see it, oxygen is flowing. And it is safe to breathe. And at this point, all the people new to flying get up out of their seat and yell, you're telling me to trust in something I can't see? Get me off of this plane. No, that's not what they do. People simply think, okay, sounds great. Thanks for looking out for me. But when God asks you to believe him for things you can't see, you throw a fit. God, if you really loved me, you do this right now. How can you expect me to trust in healing when all I see is sickness? Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. I caught myself. Man. You know, it's laughable how quick we are to believe a person who tells us to believe in something we can't see. But we put up great resistance when God tells us to believe in something we can't see. If you want to live a life of faith, then you have to decide that you're going to believe God even when you don't see it. Number two, I will praise God even when I don't feel like it. This is called a sacrifice of praise. Because you got to take your feelings to the altar, kill them, and praise God anyway. Y'all, this is faith. When you choose to praise God even though your circumstances suck, it's because you're living by faith and not by sight. You know God's going to come through, so you're going to praise Him anyway, even though you're hurting. You praise Him even when you don't see it. You praise Him even when you don't understand it. God honors this kind of faith. And sometimes, y'all, we're only one sacrifice of praise away from seeing our miracle. It's right there. God already provided it. He's just waiting on us to receive it through faith. And praising when you don't feel like it pushes away all the unbelief. It pushes away all the doubt, and it moves you right into faith. Man, I hope somebody's getting this. We need need to make a habit of praising God even when we don't feel like it. So I expect you to show up next Sunday during worship and be hyped. And the one after that, too. All right, here's the next one. Number three, I will give to God even when it's inconvenient. Oh, maybe I should skip that one. Keep going. Growing up, my parents made me tithe on my birthday money. 
Not even kidding. No joke. And in case you don't know what the tithe is, it's a biblical principle where you give the first 10% of your income back to God through your church. So 10% of my birthday money right off the top had to go to the church. And you know, when you're a kid, you don't have a lot of money. So that 10% really messed up my plans for what I wanted to buy. But this practice carried into my adult life, mostly out of obligation, (laughs) if I'm honest. And I remember writing that tithe check when Beth and I didn't even have a real grocery budget. We were making casseroles and we were dividing them up into eight sections and only eating one per meal. Because if you ate more than one, that was tomorrow's lunch. So you won't have to fast that meal if you ate it today. It was inconvenient to tithe. But we believe the word of God. I believe that if I was obedient to tithe, the windows of heaven would open up and pour out a blessing so much that I couldn't contain it, just like Malachi 3.10 says. So year after year after year, we kept tithing, even though there was no evidence that the windows of heaven were opened up and pouring out blessings. Where are they? How long does this blessing take to come from heaven? Goodness. We were still eating casseroles. I was still driving a car that smelled like cat pee. The belts would squeal, and it could barely get up to speed on the highway. But we continued to believe God even when we couldn't see it. We continued to give even when it was inconvenient. And eventually, years later, we saw the results of our faith because we stuck with it. I'm baffled at how much God has blessed my business. I'm like, what? Me? (laughs) Awesome. He gives me the secrets to generating income. And honestly, his secrets seem weird at first. But I just do them anyway because God knows what he's doing. And the results I get are, well, God's results. I don't believe any of this would have happened if I didn't give when it was inconvenient, year after year after year. All right. If you tithe for a few weeks or a few months and then you give up because you don't see the results of it, you weren't giving in faith. I'm just going to call you out on it. Because faith holds on regardless of how long it takes. Faith says, I don't need to see immediate results because I trust God. His word is true. And I know the windows of heaven are open, so I'm going to stay consistent because I will see the results of it. So I will give even when it's inconvenient. Here's the last one. I will trust God even when I don't understand. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't always respond how we want him to? Or when we want him to? Especially not when we want him to. You guys know what I mean. I mean, there's some things in my life right now that I think God should be moving a little quicker than he is. I mean, he's revealed to me that the impact that my, uh, the impact that my book is going to make, and I haven't seen it yet, just waiting, but I will. And that's not the only thing. There are several things in my life right now where I think that God should move a little quicker than he is. But in the end, I know that his timing is the best timing He knows the full picture. He knows the beginning from the end. Surely we can trust him him to accomplish the things we need at the right time, in the right way. Surely. If you've been asking God for healing every day for the past five years, that's why you haven't seen the result. You haven't been in faith. You've been hoping. You've been hoping. And hoping is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's actually the precursor to faith. Just don't get stuck in hope. At some point, you got to move on over to faith and trust, hey, it's already been done. So I'm just going to rest in what the Lord has already done as I wait to see the results of it. Actually, when you're in faith, the results don't even surprise you. Because with your spiritual eyes, you already saw the result. 
So when it shows up, you're just like, duh, (laughs) already knew it. Are y'all getting this? Engage with this series and think about it throughout the week because it's time to do what Jesus instructed us to do. He said that miraculous signs would follow those who believe. And we're going to be a part of this end time revival. We are. We are. We believe and we expect miraculous signs. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts today. I thank you that this seed today was sown in good ground, and that it'll yield a harvest, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. There's no rocky ground in here. Nobody's going to come snatch this up. I declare protection over the seed that has been sown in these hearts today. I rebuke the plan of the enemy. I command it to cease. And Lord, we thank you that your promises are true and we will see the results of them. Lord, we thank you for this end time revival. We thank you that Jesus is coming soon. We set our hearts and our minds on heaven because that's where we belong. We will work diligently while we're here. We will do what you ask us to do, say what you ask us to say. But man, I'm so looking forward to being with you. I'm so looking forward to eternity. And God, I ask you to equip us to take as many people with us as we can. You said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But your laborers are right here in this room. God, we dedicate ourselves, we consecrate ourselves to be your laborers in this end time harvest. We will go out and we will bring in the harvest. Show us what that looks like. Show us what each specific assignment is. God, I ask you to reveal that to each person in this room. Show them what their assignment is in this. So much variety in the gifts that God gives. So much variety. Don't doubt what he's telling you to do just because it doesn't look like the person sitting next to you just because it's not preaching or teaching or something like that. Don't doubt it. Just do what he asks you to do. Do what he put on your heart. Run after it with all diligence. And trust him to provide for it. He may have given you something that's really expensive. Trust him to provide for it. He owns this place. And don't hinder how he gets that provision to you. Because it's probably going to come the way you least expect. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.